Well, hey, good morning, Brookside. It's great to see you this morning, and uh, yeah, it's great to be, amen, yeah, you're already off to a good start, you know, not bad. Way to listen to Rob, that's good. Um, hey, I do just want to say a special welcome to you if you're a guest here with us today. Um, as Rob mentioned, we've got a 10-minute party for you right over there after the service. Would love to meet you, be able to shake your hand this morning, so, uh, so welcome. It's a special morning for us. We're going to celebrate a lot today. Actually, though, I want to start by celebrating one of the guys that's been on our team for a long time, Brad Zook. Um, you might have seen our weekly email this week. Um, this is Brad's actual last Sunday on our staff team. Brad's taken a job with a financial uh, advising uh, firm in Omaha with their marketing department. And uh, so we're actually really excited for Brad. And we're excited most of all, though, that Brad and Leslie and their family are still going to be in Omaha, still going to be here. And so uh, you'll be seeing him around. You can actually give him a hard time and just and really encourage him. I've already offered and said, hey, would you, would you come and teach again? And we still want you in the teaching rotation. So you can just lay that on him, okay? It'd be great. But I do have this really good memory of Brad. It's one of my favorite memories of sitting in his college dorm room in 2003. And I, I said to Brad that day, I said, Brad, would you consider joining our, our youth staff team and be an intern in our middle school ministry? And Brad accepted that job. And since that time, he's uh, had multiple roles here. He's impacted a lot of lives. You talk about a guy with a solid faith and just a phenomenal character. And so we're really excited, actually, for where Brad's heading and the things and the ways that God is going to use him. So if you see him this morning, uh, congratulate him. We're really, we're really proud of him. I also wanted to mention to you that last weekend we had our middle school and our high school fall retreats. Now these are special times for our youth. Yeah, they're awesome. So these are our middle school students. I actually remember being in this same retreat center in the same room and God grabbing my heart as a college student. And so it's so fun to think about though how year after year we get to see God do phenomenal things. We had over 200 students and their adult leaders go on these trips. This is our high school students out there. And, and one of our values as, yeah, these are our high schoolers, one of our values as the church is the next generation. And so the reason why I tell you about these trips is this, it's because you all are a key part in us reaching the next generation. We cannot do it alone. And so we celebrate this with you. On Wednesday night, they had just kind of a sharing time of, hey, what did God do last weekend? And the stories were phenomenal of how God drew students to himself. So we really celebrate that with you this morning. Well, today, For the City um, initiative is coming to a culmination. So excited about what God's been doing the last three years. If you're newer to Brookside, three years ago what we said was this. We said, Lord, we want to begin a three-year journey where we really begin to live for the city. We painted it on the wall even. We said we want a very visible reminder, something that will point us to it again and again and again. And it'll just remind us that we want to be a church that's not just for ourselves, but we want to be a church that as the city looks at the church, the city would even go, wow, that church really cares for the city. So that's the thing that we're going to celebrate this morning and, and just celebrate the, way the ways that God has moved among us. We're also in the series through the, the New Testament book of Luke. And this semester we've been trekking through that book of Luke. Today we come to Luke chapter 19. And I really believe that the passage that we're going to look at this morning is going to encourage us, not only in this For the City initiative, but I think it's also really going to spur us on to really think about what are the things that are near and dear to the heart of Jesus Christ, and then how does that impact my life? Where does that lead me? And so this series is called Best News Ever. And what we've been talking about, and, and really what we've been seeing throughout the gospel book of Luke is this, is that when the gospel gets a hold of your life, when the message of Jesus, when it grabs your life, your, grabs your heart, you begin to think differently. You begin to care about different things. You begin to celebrate different things. There are certain things that grieve your heart that maybe you never cared about before. You find joy in different things. 
This text this morning, I believe, is definitely going to lead us to one of those places. So let me set it up with a question. Here it is. If you could have dinner with anyone in the entire world, anyone on the planet, who would you choose? Who would you choose? If you like the person next to him, you can say, you, of course, you, you know. But well, who would you choose? Anyone. Anyone in the entire planet, who would you choose? If you could, let's take it even a little bit, a step further. If you could have that dinner in their home, whose home would you want to go in? Who would you want to kind of get the inside scoop and really be able to, to kind of get to know a little bit better over a meal? Would it be a world leader maybe that would come to your mind? Maybe it would be an old friend. Maybe it would be a well-known athlete. Maybe it would be a well-known musician. Maybe it would be a coach. Maybe Tom Osborne or Scott Frost or Kurt Ferens. It's trying to relate to everybody here this morning in church, right? There's four of you. That's good. I like that, right? But whose home would you love to walk through the front door of and for you to be able to sit down, converse with them, and get to know them a little bit? Here's the one thing that's, that's certain. Whoever you would choose tells us a little bit about you. It tells us maybe who you admire. It maybe tells us an area of your life where you desire to grow or to learn. Maybe it even tells us, hey, this, this is really important to me. This is someone that I really like. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus has this opportunity. He makes this decision. And who Jesus decides to go into the home of says a whole lot about him, particularly in this culture. Because in this culture, in the culture that Jesus was in, if you went into someone's home, it wasn't as though you were just saying, hey, we're just going to have a meal and I'm just going to eat and, and get my fill and go. No, if you walked through the home, through the doors of someone's home, what you were communicating to everybody that saw you go in was this, I want relationship with you. I'm pursuing a friendship with this person. It was a very big statement. And so who Jesus associated with said a lot about who he would love and who he would influence and who he would want to be around. And I believe it informs us this morning. I believe it leads us, I've loved studying this text this, morning, this week, it leads us to questions like this, who do I see? Who do I want to embrace? Who does Jeff Dart invest in? Who does Jeff Dart want to have over? Luke chapter 19, it helps us think about our relationships, but then very strategically as a church, it also helps us ask questions like this, are we about the right things? Are we going down the right paths as a church? Are we headed in the right direction? Are we consistent with the things that matter most to the heart of our God? So let's dive into the text. Turn with me if you've got a Bible to Luke 19. Click there on your phone if you'd like. Let's read through this passage. Why don't you actually do this? Why don't you stand with me? I'm just out of respect and honor for God's word. So let's stand up together. Luke chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 1. It says this. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man there by the name of Zacchaeus, he was a tax collector and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this, and they, they began to mutter, He is gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus, he stood up, and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give a half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, Today, Zacchaeus, salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. 
For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Pray with me. Lord, we come to you this morning. First of all, we just want to say thank you. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we pray that not my words would be heard, but we would hear straight from you today. Lord, I pray for the person that comes here today, and they just need some hope. They're going through a challenge. I pray you would meet them in that. I pray for the person this morning that's seeking you. They want to know what is the gospel. What does it mean to know Jesus? I pray, Lord, so clearly you would reveal yourself to them. And then lastly, Lord, would you inspire your church today? Would you inspire your church in the mission that we're on? So, Lord, we invite you in so gladly. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You may be seated. Let's start in verse 1. Let's work our way through this. Notice this. It says that Jesus entered Jericho and he was passing through. So know this. This is the last personal encounter that we see of Jesus before he gets to Jerusalem where he would go to the cross. So he's passing through, stops in Jericho. Now know this about Jericho. Jericho is a desirable place. If someone asked you a question, if you could take a vacation anywhere, where would you go? People would have said, many of them, Jericho. Jericho was called the city of palms. It was also known as a little paradise. So think Palm Beach with its beauty and with its climate, but think New York for its influence. That's the kind of city that Jericho was. Verse 2, enter the main character. It says, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. Now we saw this in Luke chapter 5, that that Jesus is at the party, this whole tax collector thing is actually pretty significant in the text. In Luke chapter 5, we see Jesus is at the party of a man named Levi. Levi, too, he was a tax collector. Not a chief tax collector, but a tax collector. And so, though, when Jesus went to this party, the people didn't like it. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, it says this in, in verse 30 of chapter 5. They said this about Jesus. Jesus, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? In other words, what they were saying is this. Jesus, we don't like the company that you keep. We don't like who you're around. We don't like the fact that you associate with this crew. Verse 31, Jesus answered them, though, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, it is but the sick. He said, then I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners like me, like you, to repentance. Now know this, in this culture, and we've seen this in the book of Luke already, in this culture, being a tax collector was no compliment. It's no compliment today, is it? When's the last time you thanked God for the IRS? Anybody do that this morning in your prayers? Oh, and Lord, I thank you for the collections that are coming. No, you just don't do that, right? But in this culture, know this, it was much more than just unpopular, in this culture, a tax collector was looked at as one of two things. Either you're a traitor or you're a thief. Here's how the Roman Empire worked at that time in the, as we think about taxes. They didn't want to t- collect taxes. And so what they would do is this. They would hire a firm. Think of kind of like a financial firm. They would hire a group that could collect taxes for them. So imagine a firm giving a bid to the Roman Empire and saying, hey, Kind of in our terms, we'll give you a million dollars. We'll collect a million dollars in taxes from Jericho, and we'll bring them to you. And so whoever would submit, obviously the highest bid, would get the job. And so then that group would go out, and they would begin to collect taxes. But here's where it got really corrupt. There was really no predictability on how much you could be taxed. The, ta- the taxation uh, process, it, it didn't have any order. And so you could be taxed for things that you shouldn't have been taxed for. You could be overtaxed. And so they became known as a group of people that would go up to common people and they would overtax them. And that's why they began to be seen as traitors and thieves. 
There's this document called the Jewish Mishnah, and it says this, being a tax collector was so low that they should not even be considered a human being. People hated tax collectors. And Zacchaeus isn't just any old tax collector. He's not just any old part of the team. Zacchaeus is the chief, a chief tax collector. He's leading other tax collectors. And no doubt, the thing that made people so mad about this group was that they would pad their own pockets. They would overcharge, and then they would become wealthy at the expense of the common person. And so there's no doubt about it. When we get to the main character, Zacchaeus, in this text, it's very true. This man would have been a lonely man, hated by most, probably just accepted by a few of his peers, his colleagues. What do you think it would have taken, though, to have drawn a man like this, gripped by his wealth? What do you think it would have taken to have drawn his heart to God? Look at verse 3. It's a surprising verse, but it's so important. Verse 3, it says, he wanted to see who Jesus was. Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. Now, it's likely that word had gotten out by now about Jesus. It's likely that people were talking about him. It's likely that some people were like, hey, did, did you see he healed that sick woman? It's likely that some people were like, hey, that person had the death sentence of leprosy, and Jesus, he healed their body. Look, physically, he healed them. Other people would have said, I was with Jesus. He fed a whole crowd of people with not much food. This guy, there's something special about him. We don't know, though, why Zacchaeus is pursuing Jesus. But i got to be honest with you. That's one of the key takeaways from this passage. Zacchaeus is pursuing Jesus. Maybe he had heard about Levi, his colleague. And maybe he had thought, okay, wow, he came into Levi's home and maybe Levi had told him, hey, Jesus isn't like the other religious leaders. Jesus is different. Jesus is talking about grace. Jesus is talking about what it means to have life in the kingdom of God. What does it mean to, to truly know who God is? Jesus isn't concerned just about being nice and tidy and all cleaned up. No, Jesus is about much more significant things. We don't know what drew him. Maybe Zacchaeus was laying in bed one night and, and he just thought to himself, maybe his conscience just grabbed him and he thought to himself, what am I doing? What kind of man have I become? The very, the very root of his name alludes to nothing like what he became. And maybe he thought to himself, who am I? We're not sure, but we know this, he's pursuing Jesus. And then it says this, but because he was short, and I think that's just kind of funny. Because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Apparently, he's vertically challenged. I'm glad I can't relate to that, right? <laughs> Quick story. When I was growing up, one of my brother's peers, he went around to me and all my buddies and gave us these very derogatory names, which I won't mention most of them. But he looked at me and he said this. He said, my nickname for you is Stubby. <laughs> and I believe God's judgment is on him this day. Even Yeah, <laughs> I'm still bitter about that. Now, actually, some of you, though, you grew up maybe in a tr church tradition where you were taught a song about Zacchaeus. And the song, I'm not going to sing it, but the song refers to him like this, like he's a we, we little man was he. I think Zacchaeus, though, was up in heaven and he found out whoever wrote that song, you know? He's like, what are you thinking? You're killing me. But notice this, verse 4, he doesn't let his height or anything else deter him from pursuing Jesus. He doesn't let anything get in the way of him pursuing Jesus. It says, so he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So he's resourceful. But think about this. Zacchaeus is in a crowd of people. 
Picture it. This is like a parade. A lot of people have gathered to see Jesus. And now we've got this business guy, a guy that likely wore a suit every day to work. And what is he doing? He's up in a tree. I picture like Danny DeVito up there swinging his legs off a branch. I mean, think about this. This would have been so humbling. So humbling. But notice that while Zacchaeus has everything going against him, Notice that he makes such the right move. We came across this verse in our 365 reading just this week, and it's a promise. It's beautiful. It's one of those promises that no matter where you're at, no matter how far you feel like you've strayed from God, this is a beautiful promise to you. James chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Come near or draw near to God, and what will he do? He will come near to you. So just like Zacchaeus, when When you draw near to God, God will respond to that. God won't always hunt you down. He doesn't always work that way. But there is a promise in the scriptures, and we see it throughout, that when you pursue Jesus, he responds to that. As I studied this week, I thought to myself, Lord, I want to be more like Zacchaeus. There was not a complacent bone in his body. He wanted more of Jesus. Jesus was becoming his treasure. He loved him. He began to figure out who he was. Let me just say to you this as well this morning. Some of you are here and you might be searching. You might be saying, hey, I would love to know who Jesus Christ is. And I just want to encourage you here this morning. Don't let anyone deter you from your pursuit of Jesus Christ. Sometimes even very well-meaning Christians can be the thing that keeps people away from Jesus Christ. Don't let that happen. You keep pursuing Jesus. Verse 5, it says this. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house today. Not Zacchaeus, hey, could someday I come over? Hey, I'm a little bit hungry. Could we? No, no, no. Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house today. Zacchaeus, you desire to seek me. And Zacchaeus, I desire for you to be found. Think of the heart of God. For some of you, you're pursuing Christ. And know this, when you pursue Jesus, the smile of God is on you. And when you pursue him, you will find him. Verse 7. It says all the people saw this and they began though to mutter. They see what's happening. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner, they're saying about Jesus. But notice this. It's not just the, the Pharisees that were saying this. It says all the people. In other words, nobody wanted this crook, nobody wanted this thief to experience the mercy and the grace of God. I picture Zacchaeus Before he ever even thought about the humbling experience of climbing up in a tree like a little kid at a parade, I picture him trying to get through the crowd, but people were probably like, oh, Zacchaeus, oh, hip check him this way. I mean, he probably just got frustrated, and then he went up into the tree. We don't want to be like those people that keep anyone away from Jesus. But notice this in the text, kind of a quick time out here. Jesus is also making a very important distinction between religion and the gospel. Because isn't it true? I mean, you do your research. Every other major world religion says this. You get cleaned up, and then you come to God. You get cleaned up. You you, you walk straight line. You do everything you can right, and maybe you'll be clean enough to be before God. Maybe your life will be such that God will have a relationship with you. That's not the gospel. 
That's not the gospel at all. The gospel, and notice this, Jesus pursued Zacchaeus not because he was a sinner, but look at the text, because he, not because he had been a sinner, but because in that moment he was a sinner. And that's how the gospel works. The gospel looks at you and I and it says, hey, there is no self-liberation. There is no self-liberation. You and I, we come before Jesus Christ, and this is why we call it the best news ever. We come before Jesus Christ with all of our mess, and we say, hey, I can't do this on my own, and that's the reason you died, and I'm just, wow, I am blown away that you would do that for me. That's how we find Jesus Christ, and that's a major, major distinction for Christianity. Just recently, a pretty well-known man, a pastor, a writer, a theologian, Eugene Peterson, recently he died, and Eugene's son, Leif, said at his funeral, he said, my dad only had one sermon that he preached over the course of 29 years. He said it was kind of our little, our little secret, but he told me it early on. And he said that the, 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 all the books that he wrote, everything that he, that he did, all that he talked about, all of those sermons over all those years, they came from one single message. And he said, my dad whispered that message into my life over the course of 50 years. He said when I was a kid, he would sneak into my room and, and he, would, he would say these words over to me as I slept as a child. Here's that single message. God loves you. God is on your side. He is coming after you. And he is relentless. Some of you may have never heard this before. God is for you. God is for you. Some of you, you think this way. I thought this way for a long time. I thought that God was in heaven and he was an angry taskmaster who just wanted me to behave better. That's not Jesus Christ. Instead, Jesus Christ says, no, 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 you come to me and because I love you and because I desire for you to live life with me. That's where you'll find true life. Verse 8, it says, but Zacchaeus, he stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give a half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now know this, typical payback for a crime, like the crime that no doubt Zacchaeus committed and led others to commit, typical crime according to Levitical law was this, that you would pay back your debt to that person, but you'd pay it back with an extra 20%. Look what Zacchaeus is doing here. Zacchaeus is not only paying, and paying back or willing to, one pastor put it like this, that he's becoming the most generous man in the New Testament apart from Jesus Christ. He's being reckless. He's gener his generosity, he's paying back at 400% what he owed. And he's doing it, know this church, because he wanted to. He's doing it because something in his heart had changed. He's doing it because his affections have changed. He's doing it because he used to live and in the, in the, his wealth had, his grip, had the grip on him. But now he looks at his wealth and he says, no, no, no. It's almost like he's giddy. I'm going to give away half my possessions and, to the poor and, and then I'm going to pay these people back four times what I owe them. What's happening here? What's happening here is what happens when the gospel gets a hold of you. It's what happens when the gospel gets a hold of me. Jesus becomes our greatest affection. You ever notice this, that the more that you realize who Jesus Christ is, the more that you desire to worship him? I believe that Zacchaeus is finding out who Jesus is, and all of a sudden the thing that had a grip on his life is not looking so good. He wants to find his joy in Christ. Psalm 16 says it this way, You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence. 
In other words, Lord, my joy, my joy is in you. My joy isn't in the things that I have anymore. The very thing that Zacchaeus built his life around, he now freely gives because he's saying, my affection for Jesus has captured me. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever noticed that the more you fall in love with Jesus, the more that you love the things that he loves? It's like this sign that the more that the gospel grips you, the more you care about the things that Jesus cares about. That's just how it works. Look at what happens next. So Jesus has seen him. Jesus has welcomed him. And now Jesus is going to publicly declare, Zacchaeus, you've been changed. Zacchaeus, you've you've taken what was once your idol and you've replaced that with the God who loves you. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, today salvation, notice it doesn't say religion. It's not what Jesus is about. Today salvation has come to this house. Again, and it's not because Zacchaeus, you deserve it, but God, the Lord saying, but I came to you. Today's salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is the son of Abraham. Jesus is saying, hey, like Abraham, Genesis 15, Galatians chapter 3, Abraham was known as a man of faith. He's saying, now, Zacchaeus, you are known for your faith in the God that you love. And then look with me at verse 10. It's likely the most telling and the most important verse in the story. Verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Right here, and I love the way that Luke writes. He writes with such detail, and he gives us this gift right here in the text. Like if someone came up to you later today and they said, hey, what was, like, what was the sole purpose? Tell me in one sentence, what's the sole purpose of Jesus coming to earth? You could say verse 10. That's what it is. It's like his one-sentence mission statement. Jesus Christ, why did he come? The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And I think that leads us to another question. Here it is. Who's my Zacchaeus? Like, who's the person in my life that God would love to draw to himself? Because one thing is for sure, you and I, we don't want to be a church, and we definitely don't want to be a people, but we're we're like the people in the crowd, where we look at a Zacchaeus and we say, oh, let's just judge him for this and that, and let's just keep him away from Jesus, because he obviously doesn't deserve to have the grace of God that God has so freely given to me. We don't want to be like that. Our mission is quite the opposite. Our mission is, Lord, we want to do everything we can because you've been so good to us. Lord, we want to help people find and follow Jesus. In our For the City initiative, we talked a lot about this number, didn't we? You've probably seen this again and again. We gave it to you in multiple ways. 675,000. And what we said is this, very conservatively, if you look at the Omaha area and then you look at the Omaha surrounding area, the metro, we said very conservatively, It's very likely that there are at least 675,000 people who don't know the God that loves them. There are 675,000 people in our city, and there are co-workers, there are neighbors, there are family, there are friends, but they've never experienced the grace of God. They don't know who God is. You might remember about the, the first year, particularly when we went into this initiative, we talked a lot about this. We said, hey, let's let's think about my five for the city. And we said, hey, if, if there could be five people that you would list that you'd say, I'm just going to pray for them. Because I know that if they could experience the grace of God, and God's been so good to me, if they could experience what I've experienced, and if they could know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God loves them, and this is the life that God has for them, we said, who are your five? And this is a story that came in from one of the teachers in our church. I love, love what our teachers do. 
She knew that one of her teachers was struggling with, or one of her students was struggling with depression and mental health issues. And so this student became one of her five. And so she began to pray just diligently for this student. She said, it's no exaggeration. She wasn't bragging about it, but she was just saying, I just prayed hours and hours for this student. She said, I listened to the student through her dark days and her dark times. And, and she said, honestly, I just became desperate. God, would you answer? She watched the student struggle for a year. She said then she walked, this student walked into the new school year and she said it was evident God had done something. And they celebrated that together. But then she said she really knew that God had showed up in this student's life because the student got this assignment to write her younger self a letter. So she wrote this. This is an excerpt from what she, this student wrote to her younger self. She says, I know it seems like you cannot escape the anger and intense sadness, but you will in time. You think that God has turned his back on you, that he, dro- that, that he dropped this on you, and it seems like he has left. You think that either he's not there or he doesn't care. You have no idea how wrong you are. The things you hate now, you will, you will love, and you'll see that someone is controlled. Don't worry, you've got this. And the teacher said this about what she wrote. She said, my student understands better than most people that God walks with us and he will sustain us through the darkest valleys of our lives. She said, my prayers for this student have been answered and her life has been changed. Be encouraged. Keep praying for your my five for this city. Someone approached me after first service and said, I got to share Christ with my neighbor yesterday. She came to know the Lord. She said, that's out of the blue. That's how God works. Keep praying. Chances are that there are actually some of you who are sitting in this auditorium today and you're here because someone has been praying for you. I'm the product of someone praying for me. All of us are. It's beautiful. I want to give you some updates this morning on some of the other things with our For the City initiative. So when we launched into into this initiative, what we were asking God above everything else is, Lord, we were saying, Lord, we want to be a church that we care about the things in the city. Lord, would you grow that in us? And I just want to encourage you today, church, after three years, it happened. We painted that on the wall, but I'm just going to tell you, that's not going anywhere. And you know why it's not going anywhere? Because this has become a part of our DNA. We've become more and more a church that we look at our city and we say, Lord, we truly want to be a blessing for our city. We want, if, our, if we left the city, we want the mayor to say, oh, Brookside's gone. They did so much good in the city. So we gave you this magnet, actually. You've got one of these, hopefully, uh, this morning. You've got one on your chair. Take this home, will you? Would you put this somewhere? You'll see it. And, and let it be a reminder that we're going to continue to be a church that lives for the city. You know, we set a goal as a church that we would serve the city for 30,000 hours over three years. And uh, we even tried to track that goal, which was really hard because none of you wanted to turn in your hours, you know. And, but so we just bugged you and we begged you and we pleaded with you. But because we wanted to see, hey, can we grow in this? Like, can we grow? Can we see us put a goal out and can we accomplish it? And so this is really fun. In 2016, this is how many hours you all turned in. This is how many hours you served the community, 11,346 hours. Look at 2017 then. Look what happens. 2017, that goes up to 19,229 hours. And then did we reach our goal? 2018, boom, there it is. Isn't that fun? Yeah, 30,000 hours, 855. Let's throw out some T-shirts on that. Yeah, there we go. We thought about throwing hot dogs at one of those big launchers, but thought that might be a little, little too potent. But hey, uh, 
do want to tell you there's more free t-shirts out in the lobby today if you would like one of those. Hey, another one of our values, though, as a church, and I think this is a lot of the fruit of this initiative, one of our values as a church is this, all people matter to God. All people matter to God. There's no one that we look at that doesn't matter to God. And so when we read the scriptures, we've been asking this question, if Jesus were me, who would he see? Like if Jesus were me walking through Target, who would he see? If Jesus lived in my neighborhood, who would he see? And then when you open your Bible, what you find is this. Oftentimes Jesus was drawn to the marginalized. Jesus was drawn to people that didn't have a voice. And Jesus was surely drawn to people that didn't know the God that loves them. And so we've been saying, Lord, would you continue to to birth that kind of a heart in us? So let me give you some updates. You've heard us talk about our desire to have a church service, and we're working on launching one down at the Douglas County Correction Center down at DCC. Because down at DCC, there are 1,400 inmates there probably right this second. There are 1,400 inmates down there that desperately need to know the love of God. 1,400 inmates that will probably become a part of our city again someday. And so we want to do everything we can. We're dreaming of the day when not only do we say, hey, welcome everybody to Brookside. It's great to see you this morning. But then I look straight back at that camera and we say this. And hey, you know, we also want to welcome our friends down at DCC. And I think at that point, all of you are going to go, yeah, because we're going to be so excited, right? Because we're sharing the gospel to a group of people that desperately need it and who are oftentimes very forgotten in our city. So that team's been formed. We're going through the background process right now. They'll be trained and we'll get that thing off the ground. You've also heard us talking about we want to expand our school partnerships. We have a great partnership with one school in our community right now, Castellar Elementary School. We're looking for more. We're going to take on two new schools. And the reason why we're taking on two new schools is because we're looking at as a church and we're saying, if we could live for this city and we could find schools that have felt needs and we as a church could meet those felt needs, that's right where we want to be. So we're excited about what God might do and the impact that he might have. Looking ahead... You may not know this, but the Hispanic population in Omaha is the fastest growing population in our city. It's evident. It's evident in the neighborhoods, even around this church and surely in our community. Via L Street, we're pretty accessible as well to us, to South Omaha. So right now, we are in the process of vetting the idea and thinking about the point leadership that would be able to provide a Hispanic service right here in our building on Sunday mornings. Because here's what we know. We offer so much programming in this place that could be, yes, so helpful for so many people. Again, church, it all goes back to that value, though. Here it is. All people matter to God. That's what we're about. All people matter to God. Um, Let me take you through some of the financial things that have happened in this initiative. We brought three projects to you in 2015. We said, number one, we'd love to blow out some some walls over there and expand our lobby space. We said, number two, we want to build a care center. We want to build a clothing center for kids in the the foster care system. Number three, we said, we want to seed the launch of a second campus. So those were the three things. When the pledges came in, we had very easy decisions. We said, okay, we're going to prioritize two of those projects. And so we said, let's get going right now in that care center. Let's build that thing. And then let's see the launch of a second campus so that more and more of the 675,000 people in our city could know Christ. And so, so encouraging, church. I just thank you for this. 400 households have engaged above and beyond. 400 households have begun. And, and, and you're, you're not just tithing to help us do the week-to-week things around the church. But over 400 households in Brookside have said, you know what, I will sacrificially give over the course of three years so that we can accomplish some of these things. And so here's what's happened. In 2016 then, 
And what's really neat is some of you are new to the church and you just jumped in. Some of you, you've, 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 maybe you've hit some bumps even and you've said, man, I haven't reached my pledged amount. And so you're still giving to your pledged amount because you want to be a part of the things that we're doing. But here's what it allowed us to do. 2016, we began construction on the care center and that hallway expansion behind our auditorium. That project cost us $1.2 million. We paid cash for that because of your generosity. Year to date, in addition to that, we have $900,000 set aside for when God opens the door for us to launch a second campus. Speaking of a second campus, amen, yes. It's interesting how God works. Just this week, you know, as we're preparing for this celebration, we've been on this journey for three years. Just this week, we've seen the greatest potential step that we could take to be able to reach people for Jesus Christ, accomplish our mission in another part of our city that's rapidly growing. Now know this, over the course of these three years, we've pursued a lot of open doors, and we've seen a lot of doors get closed. We've stood as an elder group in multiple cornfields that have been for sale, and we prayed, God, could we own this? God, could we put a campus right here? We've pursued buildings that have come on and off the market. We've looked in uh, we've looked out west, we've looked out east, we've looked all over the place. But just this week, God's timing, God has opened up an option on the street that we've been praying for more than any other street, a place that could be so strategic for a thriving church to be. Now, you know how real estate works. And so I'm not going to prematurely give you a bunch of details, but I would ask you, I feel very comfortable saying this, hey, would you just pray over the course of the next week, over the course of the next two weeks, would you pray that if God is in this, because we only want to be what he, where we only want to be where He wants us to be, but would you pray that if God is in this open door, that God would just continue to make that more and more clear? And if this door gets closed, that's okay. Because you know what we'll do? We'll just say, okay, God, what's the next open door? And I would ask you, would you pray for that? But if these doors open up, we'll surely be telling you about it. So it's exciting times. Bottom line though is this. We want to be a church that's reaching people for Jesus Christ because there are hundreds of thousands of people just like Zacchaeus. There are hundreds of thousands of people in our city that would love to know who God is. Maybe they have an idea about God like I did that just isn't right. Maybe they've never heard about him before. Maybe they're living a life that's completely disobedient to him, but if they could just know that life with Jesus is actually it's really good. It's definitely not trouble-free, but life with the presence of God is totally different. Psalm 127 says this, and this verse puts us at ease when we think about next steps and will it happen. This verse simply says this. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, the labors labor in vain. And so right now we're just saying, Lord, we depend on you to build the house. Lord, we're depending on you because we want to be a great church, an expanding church that's reaching more and more people in a city that desperately needs you. Lastly, I want to celebrate the Care Center with you. This week, we are celebrating the one-year anniversary of the Care Center. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 8 says, Speak up, yeah, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. If you're newer to Brookside, this is kind of how we got involved with the Care Center. In 2018, we felt like God was leading us to have a greater heart for orphans in particular. And so we built an orphan care center in Zambia. And then we began to partner with Royal Family Kids Camp and Teen Reach Adventure Camp. And, and those camps serve uh, foster kids. And then we looked up the street and we said, wow, one of our neighbors just up the street is Project 
Harmony. Project Harmony is the intake center for all the kids that come through the foster care system. So these are kids that are being taken out of a home because they're being abused or neglected. At that time, there were 1,700 kids in the system. And so that's right up the street. And we said, you know what? We know this about these kids in the foster care system. So often they leave their home. They're known for this. They leave their home with a trash bag over their, their back with some clothes in it, hopefully, but not much. We said, what would it be like if we could be a church that we would provide these kids with a dignified experience? That they would walk in and they would go, this isn't second hand, but this is a dignified experience. And then they could go to school and have one less thing to worry about. What if we could do that in the name of Jesus Christ and God could be exalted and we could serve families in that way? And so we wrote the names of all 1,700 of those kids in the system on these boards. And we prayed over these kids. And we have those boards up in the back room of our, of our care center right now. Just yesterday, know this, the care center outfitted 17 kids. Just yesterday alone, I walked by it and there was just kids in there, people being served. Served. And get this, get ready to clap. Year to date, here's where we're at. After one year, 798 kids have been outfitted. Isn't that cool? That's how many kids have been served by the care center. You know, another thing about the care center that's really neat is it's completely volunteer run. It's run by volunteer staff and it's run by volunteer teams. I know many of them are actually in this room right now, so why don't you guys stand up? We want to show our appreciation to you. So if, you, if you're on that team, stand up. Yeah, look around. All of you. Thank you, guys. You guys do a phenomenal job. Brookside, we want to lead the community in this. We want to lead the community in this. We feel like God has called us to that. We know that our local government can take care of certain things, but you know what? We believe God calls us to take care of other things. And so we as a church, we feel responsible for that. We're going to engage in these kinds of things because all people matter to God. And so we're going to continue to ask that question, Lord, if you were me, if you were us as a church, Lord, who would you see? So yeah, why don't you take a look now at the screens, check out this video, and let's see what the care center has accomplished. Just imagine a child walking through the doors of our care center, a foster child, a, a kid that has some real needs, and then being able to get clothing that they love that's going to be an encouragement and a real practical help to them in some of their most challenging days. I can't believe it's been one year. How far we've grown and how far we've come in one year is so much more than we expected. It's more than we had as our goals, which just proves that God is in control here and He has so much bigger things planned than we could ever even dream of. The Care Center being open for one year is such a huge milestone. It's so fun to think about this vision when Brookside as a church said, yes, we want to do this. We want to partner and make this happen. I remember being so excited about it at the time and couldn't wait to be part of it.
we had a family come in. They had three or four little children with them and a teenage boy that I could tell right away was in charge of babysitting. That was his role. That's why he was here. He was not here to shop. He was in charge of babysitting so the parents could shop for their little ones. So I saw him out of the corner of my eye looking at the clothes but not wanting to get caught. And so I went over to him and just asked if he would like to shop. And his face, his eyes just opened and he said, well, no, I can't, I don't go to Castellar. And I said, that's okay, you can shop. You go shop as much as you want, you go find some good things. And right away, he was really excited. When he came in, he was shy, he was quiet, he was just focused on watching his little brothers and sisters. And when he left, he was smiling. His face was definitely lit up more and he was talking to me and talking to his mom and showing her, look at this shirt, look at this shirt I got. And when he left, his head was held high. The children's aunt had just received word that she was getting custody of her nieces and nephews. There was four of them at the time and they were all under the age of five. And these children were coming to her with absolutely no clothing. She was overwhelmed with her situation with her sister. She just could not believe after we stood here and bagged her all up, she just was beyond words of grateful and thankful and she just didn't even know what to say. had a foster mom uh, come in and she had recently adopted a special needs boy just in September, but then had received three older boys just that day. And I overheard her on the phone tell whoever she was telling as she was standing here in the care center that these boys just came to me today and all they have is what's on their back. Her caseworker had told her about the care center and she said, I'm so glad that we could come here. And we uh, got them situated with new socks and underwear and shirts that they liked and they were excited about, jeans that still had tags on them. And uh, it was really fun to see the difference in those boys' faces from when they walked in the door till when they walked out. Our number one priority here is to love on these children and the families. So I'm just excited to get more and more kids through here so that we can just bless more and more families. So to be a year operational, to have served as many kids and parents as we have, I think just shows how big God is. It is, it is just a, a great testimony to his work through the members of Brookside Church, the members of our community, and just how we've, we've come together to serve, serve the people, people of Omaha. My heart is that the foster children leave with a bag full of love that the foster children know how much that they are loved from our Brookside family. Brookside, um, thank you.
Thank you for being a church sacrificially the last three years. And you've poured into things that allow us to do these kinds of things. And so thank you. Now, I'm actually starting today and going through the end of the year. We're doing this thing called Stock the Store. And our goal is this. We're going to try to stock that store for the entire next year. And what's exciting about the care centers is it's growing. Um, so now we're helping out Castellar Elementary, Disney Elementary, Boys Town, and get this, the Iowa foster care system. So that thing continues to grow, and we're going to continue to meet more and more kids' needs. So let's stock that thing up. So that's exciting. You know, there's a verse, and actually, why don't you stand with me now? There's a verse that we've been going back to time and time again throughout this series, and it's one of these verses that keeps us on point. It's one of those verses that says, church, don't you settle. Ask God for big things because God is a big God. And so I actually want us to kind of passionately pray this together, and let's just say these words out loud together. So, yeah, let's say this together. Here we go. Ready? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church, generous Jesus, all generations, forever and ever. Amen.